I would like to just read again uh, three verses from that chapter we read, part of. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isaiah is referred to by Alec Mateer as the crown of the Old Testament. You remember perhaps the reference in in John's Gospel, John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said these things, because he saw my glory and spoke of them. Have you seen the glory of Christ? And have you spoken of them? That's what Isaiah did. And that's what we are designed to do, to glorify God and to speak of him and about him, even if all we're doing is speaking about him to our own souls. We used to say that talking to yourself was a sign of madness. And you might say that if you saw me walking along the riverside speaking to myself. Do you speak to yourself? Well, you better start. It's a very important thing for us to do, to speak to ourselves. There it is in Psalm 116. O thou my soul, do thou return unto thy quiet rest. Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Why am I in such a state? Speak to yourself. We are advised to do that, are we not, in Colossians? Set your affection on things above, not on earthly things. Whatsoever things are true and of good report, think on these things in Philippians. So what were you thinking about this morning after breakfast? I wonder what we're going to have for lunch. I don't have any greens for lunch today. Uh, what am I going to do after the service this afternoon? What were you thinking about? We are told and encouraged to think about God and his word. Our tendency so often is to go, go and think like this. Well, it's not fair. I, I, I've got a bad hand. How terrible life is. The cost of living is so tough. And my health is not what it used to be. And you begin to think like that. And you, you use the language of the verse we read. 14. The Lord has forsaken me. God's forgotten me. He doesn't understand my situation. 
My situation is so hard and so difficult. You're in what I call the 3D. The 3D situation. Desolate. Despondent. And desperate. And maybe you're there today. Certainly I suspect that you have been. Perhaps often have been in the 3D situation. Desolate. Despondent. Desperate. But then we have verse 15. David was saying, God's forsaken me. I'm in the 3D situation. Does it finish there? Emphatically no. Can a woman forget her baby? Well, that's just possible. Unlikely as it may seem, maternal compassion could fail. It's just possible. But the last five words of verse 15. I will not forget you. Now, there's something something in me that says, and maybe there's something in you too, that says, well, that's enough. I can go home now. And friend, I want these words by God's Spirit to be indelibly written in your heart as you face today and the future. I will not forget you. I have graven you on the palms of my hands. So the two things that we wish to, to look at, despite my hinting that you can go home now, I'm going to keep you a little bit longer. Two things I would like us to look at together. Where and why do we feel forsaken? This feeling of being forsaken. And then secondly, the love that cannot forget. Why do we feel forsaken? Well, things don't go according to our wishes and plans. My prayer seems to have disappeared. I've started to pray, and then I began to wonder, I need to go and fill the car with petrol. I started to pray, and then I better clean my shoes. I started to pray, and then I began to think about what happened yesterday. And then we're flooded with disappointments. Isn't it amazing that the Bible is full of people, full of examples of people who felt forsaken. And I would like just to mention three of them. Number one, Mary Magdalene was her name. There she was crying her eyes out. 
looking into the empty tomb. The bystander asked her, Why are you crying? What's all the tears about? Listen to her answer. Mary Magdalene replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Where have you taken him? He's not here. I'm missing him. He's gone. Perhaps you're there today. You go to prayer. You're as dry as dust. The heavens are as brass. God's not listening. You open the Bible. Heard it all before. There's nothing fresh in here. You listen online and Jesus seems absent. What did take what did it take for Mary to get her out of that hole she was in? Yeah, there was a tear in her eye, but what did it take? Two verses later. And a little later. The answer's in the part of the Bible in John chapter 20. It took one word. Mary. Mary. Hundreds of people had called her Mary. But she heard the voice of Jesus say, Mary. And what did she do? She knew, she knew it. She knew this was God's voice. She said, Rabboni, Master, I've got it. You're actually here. And what did she do then? Two verses later, you'll find it. She was so enthusiastic, she went around telling people. She went back to the disciples. He's risen. I have seen the Lord. Mary Magdalene knew what it was to feel forsaken. Number two, the patient fellow. Job was his name. His situation was COVID plus plus. Everything had gone wrong. The business was in a ruin. His body was attacked. His family, dead. He lost all his children. His wife turned sour on him. What is he saying in Job chapter 3? I have no peace, no quietness, no rest. I'm in turmoil. I'm turning in the bed all night. And Eliphaz steps up. And he says, man's born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's as if he was saying to Job, toughen up. Get used to it. That's life. 
What did God and Job call Eliphaz's advice? Miserable comforters. God didn't think much of them. He said of these comforters, including Eliphaz, I'm angry with the three of you because you haven't spoken the truth to my servant Job. And where was Job in this abject forsakenness he was feeling? What was he saying? Why was I not hidden in the earth when I was born? Why did I not perish at my birth? God, your arrows at me. You make life impossible for me. It's too much. I am forsaken. 3D, desolate, despondent, desperate. What did it take for Job to get out of the hole? What did it take for Job to get out of the pit? Here it is in chapter 42. I know you can do all things. My ears have heard of you. But now I see it. And in your desperate situation today, in your difficulty, in your despondency and dejection, can you say something of what Job said? I've got it. You are God over all. I know that my Redeemer lives. Mary Magdalene, Job, the third one, Naomi. Naomi, I need a name change. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because God has dealt very bitterly with me. My situation has been so, so difficult. Everything seemed fine at one stage. The kids were married and all seemed fine and collapsed. They're dead. I have nothing. I'm empty. Desperate. I'm a refugee. Marlon and Killian are dead. My daughter-in-law has fled. Things are tough. But was she left there? It's a very lovely thing we're told in the book of Ruth about Obed. Obed, who was the son of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And the expression that used there, is used there is, a son 
has been born to Naomi. Hey, hold on a minute. It's a son that was born to Ruth. No. The son was Naomi's also. David's grandfather. His name is in the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. Obed. God didn't leave her. Mary, Job, Naomi, I will never forget you. Then, friend, I trust you find the Psalms so helpful when you are in the 3D situation. And I'm going to repeat 16 lines, 16 lines from the metrical Psalms. Whether you know them or not, I pray that they might be and believe that they will be helpful to you in your desperate desolation and despondency. Here are the 16 different lines. And do they have an echo in your experience or your heart? My tears have unto me been meet. Thy breaking waves pass over me. My feet were almost gone. Why do you forget me, Lord? Thine arrows stick fast in me. I have been made to roar. You have given us tears of sorrow. How long will you forget me, Lord? How long will your anger last? Every morning brings more trouble. I am worn out. I am not sleeping. I flood my bed with tears. I am cut off from your sight. My enemies are laughing at me. They say to me, where is your God? I am a foreigner in my own family. Now you have rejected us. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery? I'd be very surprised if some of these lines, if not all of them, echo part of your life's experience. How precious they are. I came across this quotation from John Knox. All you can do is sob to God. All you can do is sob to God. This is the demonstration of the seed of God hidden in your heart. Have you sobbed to God? Well, there's comfort in that. This is the seed of God, the evidence of the seed of God deposited by God in your heart so that you will sob to him. That's what Knox wrote. Guess who he wrote it to? He wrote it to his mother-in-law. Can you imagine writing to your mother-in-law, guys? All you can do is sob to God. And that's evidence of what God has done in your heart. Then there are times when unbelief and sin attack you and seem to prevail. 
Have you not heard Satan suggesting to you? God didn't really say that. That's what he said to our first parents, and he's developed an expertise in doing it to us all. And what's an even greater danger? We do an Adam. Have you done an Adam? How oh, I have. And I think maybe you have too. You done an Adam? Yeah, I believe most of us have, if not all of us. Can't face up to it. We hide from God. We excuse ourselves. We try to divert our conscience. What would you rather do when, when you find that you've made a mess of something? Switch the telly on. Have another glass of wine. Or top up your whiskey. Read the paper. Watch the football. Can't face it. Friend, it's the worst thing to do is to do an Adam. Run back. God delights in mercy. You need it. Run back to him. Then there are times when God withdraws his comforting presence. Remember the psalmist expressed it several times when he said, I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. I'm like an owl moaning in the desert. I'm like a sparrow on the housetop. These are quite helpful. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. I don't know what to do. I'm like a sparrow in the housetop. I'm like an owl moaning in the desert. Why? Well, here's a great answer. Revelation 3.19. Jesus saying, Those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. You got that? If you're like the owl, or the sparrow, or the pelican. It's because God is doing something with you and to you. For a reason. Here's the reason described for us by J.C. Ryle. God allows pain, sickness, and disease, not because he loves to trouble us, but because he desires to benefit our heart, our mind, our conscience, and our soul for all eternity. God is bringing you to the wilderness experience for your eternal good, for your heart, mind, conscience, and soul for eternity. God does all of this so that we would hunger and thirst after him. There's a lovely word. It's in Hosea chapter 2. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. The wilderness with the pelican and the owl and the sparrow. 
the wilderness of that experience. God's doing it. I will allure her and bring her there. Why does he do it? He says why. Because there, in that place, in that experience, I will speak comfortably. I will speak comfortably to you. I will give you comfort there. Have you getting are you getting comfort? Even in the, the depths of despondency, despair, and the desperateness of it. In that passage in Hosea, he goes on to say, In that day you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me your maker. You will call me your husband, thy maker, thy husband. The husband is a, is a loving description of our Lord. Then the disciples had a great gospel day. Remember, big crowds. Jesus had to take to the boat as his pulpit for the day. But they had something to do that evening. What was it? Well, they did what Jesus told them to do. They put their sailing skills in action. They had to go in a boat. And what happened then? There was a storm. Help, we're sinking. We're done for. We did what you told us. We had a great gospel day. Thousands were fed miraculously. It was wonderful to be one of his followers. Now we're in the boat doing what he told us and everything's hopeless. You don't even care for us. You're sound asleep in the back of the boat. Why did Jesus not arrange that they would have a calm crossing. He did this so that they would learn that their leader who got hungry, their leader who got sleepy, and that their leader who was a man just like them was much more. He was the creator of the universe. They wakened him, and what happened? He said, quiet, be still, that's enough. And immediately, immediately, there was a great calm. What did they say then? Ah, even the wind and the seas obey him. And you know there was consequences of that. If you go to Acts chapter 4, you'll find it. There before the Sanhedrin, these timid guys, ordinary folk, were now full of courage. And we read that they spoke boldly 
Salvation cannot be obtained anywhere else. There is no other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. That boldness, I believe, was a result of their experience in the 3D situation. They were now bold. We got through it, we got over it, we got out of it. It's not the strength of your faith or feelings that saves you, but the strength of the one in whom your faith is placed. It's not the strength of your faith or your feelings that saves you, that helps you. It's the strength of the one in whom your faith is placed. It's not your strength. It's his. It is precisely when God shows us a little of our own weak corruption and his own anger against sin that we most glorify him by appealing to him as a true, merciful, kind father. That again is a quotation from John Knox. I think it may be worth repeating. It is precisely when God shows us a little of our own weak corruption and his own anger against sin that we most glorify him by appealing to him as a true, merciful, kind father. So we've tried to think about why we feel forsaken. Things don't go according to plan. Unbelief and sin attack, and God withdraws from us his, the sense of his presence. He takes us from the green pasture into the wilderness of difficulty. Now, secondly, the love that never forgets. Watch the mother with the helpless little weak child. See how she loves the baby. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, is another expression that Isaiah used in, where is it, in chapter 66. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. God is love. It's the same love that the Father loved the Son that God loves us with. You have loved them even as you loved me. John, John 17, verse 33. That is such an amazing expression Speak about it to your wife, to your family, to yourself. You have loved them 
as you love me. That's the words of Jesus. It's just possible that a mother could forget to love her child, but it is utterly impossible for God to forget you. I will never forget you. Just meditate on that for a moment. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Some of you might be a little bit interested, like I am, in football. Well, I came across this from Jorgen Klopp. Does anybody know who Jorgen Klopp is? Yeah, I'm sure you do. The, the, the footballer, or the manager of Liverpool football team. He was being interviewed by the BBC. And he had just led his team to win the English League with seven football matches to spare. That was quite an achievement. And he was asked, what is the most amazing event in your history? And I thought, sure, he would say, Liverpool winning the English League with seven matches to spare. That was quite an amazing achievement. But this is Jorgen Klopp's reply to that question. This guy comes into the world and he has a clear mission. But it is not exactly a walk in the park. But in the end of his life, he took all our sins on his head and let them nail him to the cross. For me, as a Christian, that's the most amazing event of history, the most decisive thing that ever happened because it changed everything. It is the greatest act that was ever accomplished and there is no way we could have ever done it. And we don't need to because someone else did it for us. That is a huge comfort, friend. Is it a comfort to you? Is that your comfort? This amazing love that God so loved the world. The Lord Jesus entered forsakenness voluntarily for our sake for your peace today, so that in your 3D situation today, you can think about what God is saying. I will never forget you. You've just been saying I am forsaken. No, you're not forsaken. You might feel that, but you're not forsaken. You're where the gospel is preached 
than you are being offered freely, without money and without price, peace with God which passeth all understanding. You are not forsaken yet. You're in mercy's ground. These hands are outstretched to you. Remember, they saw him on the cross and those who did stepped back and said, it cannot be. Is this human? Is this, is this a human being that's on that cross? He was so disfigured, he was no longer recognized as human. When he was bearing your sin. Now you've had a, one or two quotations from John Knox, you'll be wondering, where are they coming from? Well, I've been reading a bit about John Knox. That's where they're coming from. I have another one here that I think is worth uh, in that respect. This is what John Knox said about Jesus, putting this language, as it were, from Jesus himself as he challenges the devil. Lo, I am a man like to my brethren, having flesh and blood, and all properties of man's nature, sin, which is thy venom, accepted. Tempt, try, and assault me. I offer thee here a place most convenient, the wilderness. There shall be no mortal creature to comfort me against your assaults, you shall have time sufficient to do what you can. I will not fly from the place of battle. For to my people appertains the fruit of my, my battle. My victory is theirs, as I am appointed to take the punishment of their sins in my body. He went into the 3D situation for you so that you today could relax and rejoice that he has said to you, I will not forget you. They looked to him and lightened were, not shamed were their faces. This poor man cried. God heard and saved him from all his distresses. Right, there you go. You ever feel down in the dumps? Are you ever despondent, desperate, dejected? Disappointed? Well, here's the answer. I will never forget you. And if you have Christ, you have everything. And if you don't have Christ, 
He's being offered to you now. And all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Yes, I need you. And if you're saying to him just now, yes, I need you, you have him. Because you wouldn't be asking that unless he had put that seed in your heart. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the glory of the gospel. That we would hear your word saying to us, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. We pray this morning for those who are bereaved, those who are undergoing treatment, the widow in her loneliness, the, widder, the widower in his anxiety. We pray for the newborn. We pray for our queen. We pray for our government. We pray for the people in Eastern Europe and Afghanistan. Lord, why is it we don't pray more than we do? We pray for our community. We pray for the doctors and nurses and teachers, those who serve us in our community. We thank you for the mercy we have enjoyed this morning. We pray for the children that were here. Lord, we ask that you would keep them, that they would come to love Jesus and serve him. Bless us now. Give us to think on these things and give ourselves holy to them. Lord, we ask that we would have the resolve of the psalmist when he said, You are my chiefest joy. You are our only joy. You are our supreme joy. We have a mediator. We have a great high priest. We have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We have our maker as our husband. Pardon us and help us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.